0: Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and learn from each other. And today we have a conversation with Stephanie Nakano, the best Halloween decorations designer, food experts, mom of two sons, nails kind of girl, and all things internet fun and a super experienced community leader for tech startups. So hello, Stephanie. Hi, Ari. Super nice to meet you here on Community Life Conversation. And the first question, how does it feel to have you and both your two sons birthdays in one month?
1: Um, you know, uh, it is magical to be able to share a birthday with not just one, but both your children. Uh, but more so, I think, it gives us almost like our own sense of community. Like we all share the same birthday in the same month. And so we have our wants and desires to have this amazing birthday month. Um, And we, you know, we cheer each other on when it is our day, but then we are also very excited for each other when it's the other's days that arrive. So, yeah, I would say that sharing a birthday is quite amazing, especially when you uh, have it for so many of your closest family members.
0: And do you have any name for this month, like birth or something like that?
1: You know, I didn't initially, but I might have to commandeer birth December. <laughs> um, we just call it our birthday month. Um, it is actually not only my birthday my both of my sons but it's also my father's birthday as well so one of the years and we are planning this that we plan to have a ninja turtle themed birthday and all four of us are going to show up as ninja turtles (laughs) because I think like thematically it just works right like when do you have four people have the the birthdays like so close and sequential to each other and then be a complete ensemble of the Ninja Turtles.
0: Yeah, totally. And do you party all the months or just four days in a month?
1: We party all month long. So every single week in September, we have like a different celebration, but we do have a singular big party. So uh, from the planning perspective, it is only one, but in celebration and spirit, we do every single week.
0: Okay. Yeah, I can only imagine how it feels like, but yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. And let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your parents. Who are they? Uh,
1: My parents are Vietnamese immigrants. Uh, They were refugees uh, during the Vietnam War. Uh, You know, as it history writes, uh, the war ended in April 1975. Uh, Both of my parents are from Saigon, which is now known as Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, They were uh, in Vietnam, their past life. Uh, My mom was studying uh, business and communications in school. And my dad went through trade school uh, to become a mechanic. But more so, uh, he was incredibly amazing at mathematics and written um, word. So uh, while my mom studied that in school, my father, he uh, went to French Catholic private school. So my father actually knew Vietnamese, French and English. Um, Of course, after the war, they immigrated to uh, the United States, where my mom became a operations manager for Corporate Bank of America. And my father is actually uh, an electrical and a mechanical engineer, and one of the first and earliest employees of a uh, semiconductor company here in Silicon Valley called Applied Materials. Uh, So it was life-changing because I'm not the first generation of Silicon Valley tech workers and so that kind of instilled a lot of business tech and the innovation of it in me and so yeah those are my parents.
0: And do you know how they met?
1: They met here in the Bay Area in California. Uh, They Mm -hmm. met in 1978. Uh, in a random place called Mountain View, California. Uh, As you can imagine, uh, a lot of people might know where Mountain View is now, but back in the 70s and 80s, like Mountain View was really not anywhere. Uh, And so now to see the headquarters and the founding place of Google be at Mountain View is kind of surreal.
0: And what did you take... From your parents' background, like, what did you learn from them? Um,
1: I definitely felt that I learned that you can be reborn or remade multiple times in your life. While you only have one life, and it is the life that you build for yourself, There is periods of time that you might feel like there's a renewal or a a do-over or something that you start over again, but it's not the end. Like you can rebuild or rebrand or, you know, um, make yourself into something more than what you were before. And I think that was the biggest takeaway that I learned from my parents because my mom, Uh, said, you know, when I came to the United States, I was reborn again. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the people, the culture, the food. But I was reborn into this different life. And she's like, and I took the opportunity to love and to grow and to enjoy the life I was now born into. And I asked her, Mom, do you grieve or miss the previous life you had? She's like, yes, of course, everybody missed something. But if I spent all my time missing and grieving what I don't have anymore, I will miss out on what I have now.
0: Totally. And have you ever been reborn?
1: I would say, yeah. I feel like I've been reborn quite a few times and like when I say that, uh, after I departed college, I started working in tech, uh, primarily in online marketing, events marketing and social media uh, management. And I did that for five years. And the concept of reborn isn't just something that, you know, happens to you physically. Sometimes it happens to you mentally. And one day I woke up and I told my, you know, not too soon to be husband. I said, hey, I'm quitting my job. And He looked at me. He's just like, oh, really? Like, where, where, what are you going to do? And he, I'm like, I don't know. I just don't want to be here anymore. And he's like, well, whoa well, What's next for you? I said, I'm going to go to San Francisco and I'm going to figure out what community management is. And he looked at me and he was just like, What is community management? I'm like, I will tell you when I find out. (laughs) And he looked at me again. He's like, Are you sure? Like, do you have interviews lined up? Do you have any prospects or network? I said, You know what? I saw this keyword on Twitter and I'm not entirely sure there's an industry or people in this area or field yet but I intend to be one of them. And he's like, okay, I trust you. And so I would have to say that that was like the first time I woke up and was like, I consciously did not want to be where I was. And I thought about being reborn and saying, I'm starting all over again. It doesn't matter. I don't have anything, but I will make something.
0: Yeah. And did you go, by yourself to San Francisco or you went there together.
1: I, I did. I went by myself to San Francisco. Um, I commuted from where we lived. Uh, we lived in a town called Sunnyvale which is right next door to Mountain View. Um, it's a you know right ne- it's adjacent to Silicon Valley and uh, I would take the train and it was over two hours one way because there were multiple stops it wasn't you know direct. And I went to San Francisco by myself every single day, four hours commuting round trip because I just felt like it was important to be reborn this way. It was important to not only be reborn up here in my mind, but to be reborn in a different place. And I picked San Francisco, not because I thought that, you know, it's the bigger city. No, no. I picked it because I felt like if anybody were to be reborn, they would be reborn in a place that, you know, supports newness, supports being innovative or, you know, just anything risky. And I just felt, I felt that when I went to San Francisco. And keep in mind, I have never stepped foot into San Francisco up until that point. Although I was born and raised here in the Bay Area which is a big deal because being from Silicon Valley you're, you're in your own bubble and sometimes going that distance is you know not necessary but I felt hey if I'm going to work in tech I'm going to bring myself to go and I'm going to make the best of this and I'm going to re- be reborn in a place that i had never seen I've never felt I've never touched the 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 ground, not the ground, but like, I've never touched the soil. I've never stepped foot in it. I've never, you know, talked to the people. I've never spent time in there, even though I wasn't that far away, but being reborn in that concept, I wanted to do that.
0: And what were you doing during those four hours of driving there and back?
1: Um, I sometimes it would be a mix between, you know, thinking about how I would present myself when I'm interviewing, or you know, that maybe the things that I, I imagine myself doing, right, the, the dream position or the dream job, um, the dream company, right, and. The interesting part was after a year of searching and and connecting and finally landing something in San Francisco, um, I realized that my company at that time was going through a very drastic change. And, you know, my dream of being reborn while I was commuting all those hours, right? Was in preparation um for me to always think about what's next though so it was a mix of either working thinking about what this dream would manifest as how I would present myself identifying or at least defining what community management looked like to me and where do I see myself fit in and that's what I did for almost a year and a half of commuting that long it was like a extended meditation if you will or <laughs> mindfulness practice
0: yeah totally extended meditation sounds amazing and uh where did you get that confidence uh, of pursuing your dream
1: i just i was just tired of not being somebody i was just tired of trying to fit into somewhere that it didn't feel right for me to fit in and when i worked in marketing i did work in tech as well so i've never worked outside of this industry but i just felt like every day i had to squeeze myself into a box or a persona that that wasn't me and that gave me the courage and the strength to say If this is not for me, then what? And my journey was filled with why and what. And so I've never really felt like I fit in into a lot of different spaces. But I strive to always make a space for everybody else to fit in. Because I know what it feels like to be on the outside. So... I kind of turned my inadequacy or even my self-doubt into what I love to do in my, my profession.
0: Got it. And let's move a little deeper to yourself. Tell me about your childhood. From what age do you remember yourself?
1: Oh, my gosh. This is, <laughs> this is pretty challenging. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't um,
0: promise it would be easy, you know.
1: Right? No, you did not, and <laughs> this is very fair. Um, I think the earliest vision, uh, like the earliest memory of myself, was I was three years old, and this is when we were living. Uh, my parents, uh, we had like a town home in Sunnyvale. Um. And this is again, the time that my dad was still working at Applied Materials and my mom's career was taking off at, at Bank of America. And I remember them carrying my brother home. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, why do we have to take him with us? Like, can't somebody else just take it? You know, like my parents are like, no, you have a brother now. And in my mind, I just thought, gosh now my space isn't my own right and I just remember thinking like my toys are are so mine right like my you know like I was just so worried about the change because not I didn't love my brother it was more like how do I make space for him right like how do I like where do I put him like where does he fit in? <laughs> um, and I remember questioning my parents when I was three years old, uh, like what what was the purpose of bringing home a brother for me?" And I know. I was like, i I don't know what I was thinking, and I don't know why I went directly to that because I feel like a lot of you know people are very excited to have a sibling or excited to welcome a family member. And I just my immediate reaction was to worry. Like, where would he go? Where would he sleep? What toys would he play with? You know, what food would he eat? And my parents were just so baffled, like, why a sister (laughs) would just immediately go to a checklist of things (laughs) instead of, like, I didn't even know his name. (laughs) I had no idea what my brother's name was before I started asking these questions. Uh, So, yeah, that was my earliest memory. of just starting to think about how I could make somebody I don't even know their name for be uh,
0: comfortable. What the hell? Why did you break him? Didn't even ask me, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and if you think about those questions, I realized that those questions are the same ones that we ask ourselves when we're trying to set up or install a community. Right, Like, where would you go? What would you need? Well, what would make you happy? And I'm like, why? I asked that at three years old. And so I just think that that was hilarious thinking back at how my mind was processing uh, my earliest memory.
0: And how did you finally find some place for him?
1: Um, I think I found some place for him when I realized that well, cynical me would have been like, well, he, it looks like he's not going anywhere. He keeps <laughs> staying here. Um, and uh, two, I think that um, it, it was very important to me because I think that in my entire family, uh, we're a very big family. Uh, my father is one of eight children. My mother is one of 13 We are a massive, yes, I have 30 first cousins. I have quite a few of them. Um, I I, I know, I just have a lot. Um, Most, all of them are in the Bay Area as well. So it is not, it is concentrated here with us. Uh, However, I think I made room for him when I realized that I was one of the very few people in the family. To have a sibling, uh, a lot of my family members, because they, uh, you know, got married and, and had children so late, they only had one child. I am one of the very, very few who has a sibling, and I just thought that that in itself, you know, poses a bigger opportunity to be responsible and to be loving, and to be caring. Um, while I am not the oldest of my cousins or of my generation. Um, I'm frequently called upon to help coordinate our events. <laughs> and I I didn't know for the longest time why, but I realized that it's because I was able to, you know, bring people together or accept people or make them feel welcome, make them feel connected. And being a lot of only children in the family Aside from myself, they, they, they like that. They really enjoy knowing that somebody is a crafter of these connections.
0: I can only imagine what your gatherings looks like.
1: Um, I think one holiday I can, I lost count actually. We had over <laughs> 60 family members in the house. <laughs> 60 six zero. Yes. 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 It's very different to walk into a room and most everybody is your parents' sibling, in-law, or somebody related to you by blood or by marriage.
0: But it's so fun, isn't it?
1: It is intense. <laughs> it is intense. Um, you know... It's a lot of fun because you feel camaraderie. Obviously, you feel a lot of bond, right? But it's also a lot of dynamics uh, of you trying to balance, you know, what's good for one might not be the best for all. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing to be from a big family. But to also feel, like, a lot of compassion, too, is because we're all uniquely different. And so when we gather, it's like the... Spread of food, which is our biggest bonding indicator. Yuri, have you seen like, you know, traditional, long, big tables of food? That's what it was like (laughs) in my house. Like, it was like just a massive end to end, just there's not a single space on the table that isn't covered with food or beverages. That is what it feels like. And that is the vision that I would leave to people who are wondering, what does it feel like when you're like in that big of a group?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. It's it's, it's super, it's super, like you really have your own community. So no wonder why in this industry, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So You recently shared that your kids watched Home Alone 2 for the first time. So how many times did you watch it?
1: How many times did I watch it? Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know. I I would say conservatively, probably a couple thousand times. (laughs) Conservatively. I literally could not get enough of that movie, like, when I was young. Um, I was told my friends growing up, I'm like, you know, New York is where the spirit of Christmas is from. Like, everything about it, 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 it. Like, there's no place in the entire world that you could just experience the spirit of Christmas. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, have you seen Home Alone 2? Have you seen, <laughs> like how fantastic it is and i you know i'm from california so i i don't really get to see snow or live in snow uh, without driving extended distances so to see it in movies i just felt like it was just so different like but it was so familiar um and you know being very honest that's the type of spirit and Emotion that I wanted to give to my kids, like how should they feel about the holidays, or if they saw Christmas, how would they feel about it? Um, we are not, um, you know, we're not religious or anything like that, but you know, celebrating the holidays is is a big deal for me growing up. Watching that movie, and I wanted every moment of that, and so I spent a lot of time during the holidays either decorating or showing my kids this. And to show it to them felt like a very big homecoming, if you will. It's kind of like did it. They understand why I do this now. They understand the magic of it. And they love it. They love the movie. They think it's so funny. And they um it's it's interesting because they're like, Mom, how come like how come we can't go to a, a toy store like that? <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, buddy. Like there's just not a lot of toy stores left anymore, you know, (laughs) like, it doesn't exist anymore, so they ask a lot of questions of why or what was in it, and I I tell them, I'm so sorry, it's just not here anymore, and that's the only heartbreaking part about showing them the movie.
0: Did you ever meet uh, Christmas in New York?
1: No, I never, uh, I only visited in 2014, um, and it was a fantastic trip, I have not been back, which is a shame, but I do intend to take my kids one day to enjoy either Christmas or even the New Year's ball drop in Times Square, which mm-hmm. is something that i had always wanted to see and experience in real life, but... Yeah, uh, one day, but not yet.
0: And what is your favorite moment in that movie?
1: Um, I think my favorite moment in that movie was when uh, Kevin, aka Macaulay Culkin, uh, speaks to the woman in the park who he thought was very scary, but turns out, you know, she's just, um, she's a homeless woman and... Uh, She tells him, uh, you know, kind of her story of like how she ended up where she was at. And he was like, you know, you should learn to love again. And you should learn to trust people again, because it's not always good for you to like close off your heart. um, Especially after it's broken. And I was just like, where did this moment come from? Right. (laughs) But it makes a whole lot of sense because it's like, you know, it's it's a it's not a weakness to feel pain. It's not a weakness to be heartbroken, but it it also shows how much strength you have to reopen your heart after you've been hurt. And I thought that that was like literally one of my favorite parts in the whole entire movie because I was not expecting that, and it was such a deep lesson to learn as a little kid watching that movie.
0: Did you have such deep conversations with somebody
1: no unfortunately uh i i mean as i mentioned i didn't know where i fit in a lot and a lot of my friends growing up we didn't they don't have these types of conversations and um as i mentioned my parents were immigrants so you know they were raised in a very different culture than i was um We never spoke English at home. And so how to, and maybe others who speak multiple languages might feel this way. How do you convey something that makes sense in one language and one culture for it to make sense in another culture, right? And I know that there's ways to do it. I know that there are words but to convey the emotion, and especially at such a young age, I felt like I was very isolated and alone in that because I lived in between two cultures. I live in between two languages. And yeah, I just felt like, you know, these type of conversations didn't happen at home or
0: at school. Yes. I, yeah. I understand what you're talking about. Tell me, what is your favorite TV show?
1: Oh my gosh. My favorite TV show of all time. uh, It was this show in the early 90s, late 80s. It was probably early 90s. It was called Out of This World is very like low-lying show. I wouldn't say it was popular outside of the United States. I wouldn't even say it was popular in the United States, really. Uh, it's called Out of This World, and it's about this uh, teenage girl. Her name is Evie. And what's unique about Evie is that her she lives with her mom and her father is from another planet. Her father is an alien, right? <laughs> And he, she speaks to him through this little prism that's in her room, and it opens up, and she speaks to him through that way. And so she has a connection with him, but it's she, you. Throughout the whole entire duration of the show, you never see her father. You hear his voice, you hear his, you feel his presence, but you never actually see him. Uh, I think towards the end they put like a silhouette of him, but not like <laughs> you know, like he was never in full form with her, right? But the idea and the special thing about Evie is is that she has a special power because she's not she's half out of this world and half of Earth. When she puts her fingers together like this, she actually freezes time. She stops time. And she can go up to somebody and touch them and unfreeze them. But as long as she puts her finger together, time is frozen. And then she has to touch her fingers together again for unfreezing of time. But as you can imagine, she gets into a lot of hijinks and mischief. And, you know, she realizes that this power can be used for good. It's not a bad thing, right? Uh, So she starts, this is her venture of like, you know, helping her friends or her family or, you know, getting into, you know, situations. And I just really like that show because it just shows you like you can have an amazing power. But what you do with it is incredibly difficult to quantify as good or bad. And so that was like my favorite show of all time. Like, I love that show.
0: Did you want to have the same superpower?
1: Um. Sometimes I think that having a superpower seems more uh, painful and... and complex than it's necessary. Um, I think it was... I think this... My answer would have been probably yes when I was much younger. But as an adult, no. I would not want a superpower, nor would I want that one. It's just too, it's too much of a burden.
0: But once again, it can be used for good and for bad, so...
1: Yeah, that is very true. But... Who am I to decide if there is good or bad to be done, right? I think that, you know, if I were to be some type of superhero or have some type of superpower, would I want to be the only person to determine what's good and bad, right? Like, I think that that's such a big undertaking, and I don't know if I would necessarily want that, because what's good for... Some might not want to be good for others.
0: I can imagine, you know, putting this thing, like questionnaire on Twitter, like, okay, so what do you think I have to do next? Let's vote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So once you shared, it was a, it was a letter to your husband, like nine years, two babies, one house, and still one fluffy dog later. So years, babies, house, it's all clear. But tell me more about a fluffy dog, is the Terrorist.
1: Yeah, we call her, uh, her hashtag is Kazi the Terrorist. And um, she, just, she just gets in your space. I would say that if, if there was any embodiment of anti-community, <laughs> it would be that dog. Like she just takes over people's spaces, has no boundaries. I mean, she's a small, fluffy dog, but she's just very demanding. And, and, and you know, like, like if you would want to ignore her, she'll like put her body and her face in front of your vision or line of sight just to make sure that, you know, you can't ignore her. Um, and more recently, I started. I was ignoring her. I said, "No, I'm not going to pay attention to you." No, and I push her a little bit out of the way, just a little bit. And she looks at me, and she steps over me very carefully. And guess what? She steps on my kids. Like she literally like jumps on them and steps on them. And so my kids like no and of course i have to respond right because it's like your 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 small children are yelling and so she knew she's like if you don't want to respond to me i will go step on your children so you will respond to that and so she's that's our fluffy dog uh she is uh, 14 years old this year
0: wow But even though she's 14 years old, she still feels like super villain, you know, like somebody who, like, rules over the world. And, like, either you do what I command or I will make others suffer.
1: (laughs) Yes. uh, I, uh, my husband and I, we got her uh, when we first got together. So we adopted her. Uh, She was... uh, unfortunately uh, you know an animal that was abused and discarded and so we rescued her Uh, we have no real background about where she came from Um, but after we adopted her you know we've had her for 14-15 years and that's how long we've been together Uh, and I call her first wife I call her that for the very reason that, uh, you know, she was there. She got his last name because, you know, here in the United States, when you register the dog, you have to put a last name for some reason. Yeah. But we put his last name on her. So I call her first wife because she genuinely got his last name first. <laughs> and, um, you know, she is very, like you said, particular about the chain of command. She absolutely views him as Alpha. And then she waits until I am ready to serve her. Um, <laughs> you know, she makes it very clear that I am her servant, uh, but we love her very much. Um, yes. She's very commanding uh, for an older dog.
0: How did you decide to adopt her?
1: Um. well, We actually went to quite a few uh, adoption and rescue events. Uh, What it looks like here, uh, specifically in in this part of the United States, is that they'll bring uh, a bunch of either dogs and cats, and they'll have almost like an adoption fair, meaning that they'll have all the animals out and come and take a look at them. Uh, That's one way to adopt, and another way is at a shelter or a facility that... um, holds the animals and you can go through there Uh, my husband and I we went through like three four different facilities um unfortunately many of them were either already adopted or they did not like my husband I think a lot of times when animals are abused they don't really like men um and I don't know why uh but I imagine that that's just trauma yeah we went to an adoption fair and she was laying in the corner in the back it was sweltering hot and you know as a fluffy dog it's like wearing a coat in the middle of summer and so she was hot and she was laying on the ground and she looked like a sad carpet (laughs) like we just didn't know any like and she was just laying in the you know in this corner and i was like hey look at her like that one's a really cute dog you know like maybe we could and my husband was like i don't know you know, they don't really like me you know like i it's really hard to adopt a dog that doesn't like me because it uh, the dog would live at his primary residence uh, we weren't living together at the time so it's like why would you adopt a dog that doesn't like you right living at your house um and we went up to her and all of a sudden we saw these little tiny like twitching eyebrows kind of just lift up And there's these bright, sparkly brown eyes that just like, you know, filled with light. And she walked up very slowly to him and, you know, sniffed his hand and licked his his hand and, you know, acknowledged him, waved her tail. And then she turned around (laughs) and just went right back to that spot and laid down. Like, you just, that was it. And I looked at him, I was like, that dog likes you. Let's take that dog. <laughs> and he was just like, okay, why not? And it was so sad because what we realized was when we picked her up, she was severely underweight. Like, it was half her size because she had not been eating. And we picked her up and she was so fragile. And we were like, let's get you a bed. Let's get you, you know, we got a few supplies. And we took her home and my husband said, you know, she wouldn't stop crying. She wouldn't stop crying. You know, like I think she's just so scared. And I went home for the evening and he said, you know what? She wouldn't stop crying. And I was so tired. I needed to sleep and go to work. So he took his pillow and went to go lay on the ground. (laughs) Like He just went on the ground and just laid down. And she went right up to him and curled up under like where his chest and his stomach were. And she stopped crying. And from that day on, that's where she sleeps. 14 and a (laughs) half years later, that is exactly where that dog sleeps, no matter what. Like, it doesn't even matter where we're at, he will sleep right there. And, (laughs) you know, that's the story of adopting her.
0: Yeah. Have you ever thought about rescuing one more dog?
1: We did do some um, fostering, which is just a temporary homing of of, uh, animals or dogs. Uh, Unfortunately, our schedules just don't allow for us to care adequately for two dogs, but more so our dog, because of her trauma, uh, she can't be around other dogs. Mm. Um, It's very stressful for the other dogs because she's so aggressive. And unfortunately, over the years, no matter what we did to comfort her and to offer her training, it just wasn't going to work. So while we do, that was in our intention and in our heart, uh, we just couldn't make it work. But for what it's worth, after her, we don't intend to have any more pets because I think we kind of want to focus in on traveling and, and living like kind of a life. That we thought about, and he's gonna be our last dog.
0: Yeah, it's kind of both sad, and also I totally understand you because I have two dogs, and traveling somewhere it's like nightmare. Because you either have to leave them somewhere, like in some dog hotel, or take them with you, and it's taking them with you. It's really a nightmare. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally understand what you are talking about. Tell me, please, what is your favorite Nintendo game?
1: Nintendo. Mm, this is so hard. I have. I have, I'm. I'm split so many ways. Okay, 1988 or was it 1989? 1988, 1989. Nintendo 8-bit. When that first cartridge game came out, right? I was in love. Like, I played every single game that came out. Like, Bike and Duck Hunt and, you know, Super Mario. But my ultimate favorite game has to be Super Mario 3. I think I've played that game. I, I, I probably clocked in hundreds of hours playing that game. <laughs> like, hundreds. And I probably, if I could pick a game to play until the end of time, it would be that game. Straight up, hands down. And that's console gaming. So if you're... I have different games too. If you're talking about PC or... Yeah. Or...
0: Yeah. And why? Why it is Mario 3?
1: I think Mario 3 has all the elements that I would consider a wonderful game. Mario 3 has not only an amazing storyline. The, I mean, the graphics at the time were really amazing. The gameplay, the speed that you can play, the level of difficulty. I mean, it was hard. That game was, like, for me, it was really hard. Uh, But also, I think I really just love that for the first time, I felt like Mario could fly, you know, like Mario could fly. I mean like what the hell? Like he just could fly. And it was just such an amazing thing to see. And so yeah, I think just like like if I could say that like like that was like the most perfect game for me and I would play it till the end of time.
0: Got it. How would you describe your relationships with food? My
1: relationship with food, oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, I love food. Unfortunately, I am allergic to quite a bit of it. Um, I think food for me is not just a nourishment or a consumption to keep going. Food for me is culturally driven. Um, As I... You know, I mentioned I grew up between two cultures and even two languages. Um, Food was a way to bring each other together without just communication. It was an expression of love. And so I think food, while I love eating it, I'm not the best cook. But the expression behind food is culturally something very deeply important to me. So yeah, my my relationship with food is is literally love.
0: (laughs) What are your favorite dishes to cook? What to order to home? And what to eat outside?
1: Um, so recently I started making um, I started making this one dish called a sushi bake. And a sushi bake is basically a, a lasagna or a layered sushi that you just bake in a tray and you consume it by taking scoops of it and then putting it into like seaweed wraps. So deconstructed sushi basically. Um, I started making that and on my, my first attempt was okay. My second attempt, I got a lot of, um, you know, praise from it. And keep in mind, I have had a lot of anxiety and fear about cooking because I wasn't that great at it and I've never been good at it. But this was the first time I made something that didn't have much of a recipe. I kind of followed it, like what I found online. Um, however... I felt very much happy that I was able to recreate it because uh, I started noticing it being sold in stores and in catering. And my favorite food to kind of bring home, I would say probably like In-N-Out burgers. The only reason why I say that is because sometimes like In-N-Out places are like really, really crowded and especially here in California. Um, So I tend to get anxious when i'm in very very (laughs) like dense spaces that are like really uh so i tend to bring that home and then um i mean yeah that's to go and then what i like to eat out like in a restaurant uh, i love eating uh japanese shabu shabu which is japanese hot pot um it's almost like a sweet and savory version of hot pot um Yeah, I think the experience of eating in person, especially hot pot, is very unique versus if you try to buy and bring it home, the experience is not the same because it's, you know, cooked there, a lot of things are, like, fresh there. Yeah, so those are the three different items that I would say cook, bring home, or eat in person.
0: Yeah, there is totally always something you have to take home, something you have to eat out, so yeah. I totally understand what you're talking about. So, you know, our conversation is kind of like 50, 60 decibels loud. Fireworks are near 120. Rocket launch near 180. How do you think how many decibels is typing the mechanical keyboard with long nails?
1: (laughs) Um, Hmm. Well, I have silent brown switches on my mechanical keyboard. And it's also a split keyboard. So I'm not like, like there's distance between the sound basically. So it echoes when I like type. Um, if I had to guess, because iPhone says that loud decibel over 90 is, you know, harmful to hearing. Um, I would say typing on a keyboard is no more than 70 to 75 at the highest speed or at the you know you're mashing on the keyboard because i don't feel that it's louder than you know something that would hurt your hearing but i definitely feel like it's distracting so that in itself might be just a little bit louder than regular conversations so that would be my guess
0: (laughs) and where is your love for mechanical keyboards from oh
1: i'm the biggest nerd like <laughs> an geek. Uh, I know one more person, so,
0: you know, so...
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, in my line of work, as you already know, we work with communities. Um, one of the biggest things growing up for me was not only did I feel outcasted a little bit, but I spent a lot of time in my room. But the great part about spending a lot of time in your room, especially when your dad is... An electrical and mechanical engineer for (laughs) one of the world's foremost amazing semiconductor companies is that he makes components that go into personal computers and through uh, microchips right so at a very early age I actually had a personal computer in my room a custom tower which was unheard of in the 90s right like nobody has one of those so I had that I was on the internet um I mean, I was downloading stuff, making my own CDs. I made, I had like a printer in my room too. So I made the covers, like I burned CDs with the the crossover on it. I even made like the list so that my friend knew exactly what songs on there. And it was like, I love tech to the point that I was learning it so early and mechanical keyboards was just like a component of, you know, being able to type and, And even though, like, I have nails, I type without nails about 110, 120 words per minute, like, at max speed. But with nails, I probably do, like, 90. So I don't really type as fast. But growing up, learning how to type was very, like, slow. So I learned early on that mechanical keyboards help you type faster. So I got really into that. I got really into... Uh, headphones which is a community that i worked for as well um i was uh, gm uh, general manager of a community called overclock.net which was about um you know overclocking personal computers um, the headphones community was called headfi.org where i have probably a couple thousand dollars worth of custom <laughs> headsets and amps that are in my closet right now so yeah. i mean that's not even including my Apple product catalog. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I just have all this. And so my mechanical keyboard love um, is pretty much an extension of all of that.
0: Yeah. And do you type watching on keyboard or blindly?
1: I just type looking straightforward. forward. I don't look at the keyboard anymore. I even have a, uh they're called like quick keys or short keys so i program those keys to do things with just one press because i just don't have time to do multiple presses so i have those i have on my left hand i have two quick key controls is for copy and paste so i only use my thumb to copy and paste and i Mm -hmm. never lift my hand and then also my right hand uh i have a layer that controls um, my work desktop so if i Press that, all of my windows for my work desktop pop up without me opening any browsers.
0: Yeah. So yeah, you know, you know all this stuff, you know how it works. So I totally get it.
1: And, and the interesting part too is when I worked at Zapier, uh, we had this uh, program called Alfred that we would use. And sometimes when you are responding in the community or even responding to support tickets. You have uh, templated responses, so I had uh, a menu of quick keys that would let me compile custom responses within seconds without me typing it all up. So it's like one key or two key presses, and it would come. And it was like short keys, and it would just you would just type everything out in, in a limited amount of time. So yeah, it gets to that point where your productivity is about speed and ease, especially if some of it is repetitive.
0: I didn't have this question, but when you were telling me about this, uh, it reminded me, I use a lot of automated messages in community building, but for sure, like it's only reaching out message automated, sometimes it's custom, sometimes it's not, but then continue conversation. How do you feel about the automated messages, sending automated messages?
1: Um, I think that sending automated messages, um, I think there's a good and bad thing, okay? Automated messages can really help, especially when there is substance Behind it, meaning, like, is it helpful? Does it have value? Like, what specifically does it do? But if you're talking about automated messages to engage in, like, other conversation or build a relationship or, you know, field, you know, certain thoughts or feelings, then I would say no. Uh, What that looks like, for example, is is that if Yuri, if I reach out to you and I say, Yuri, uh, sell me this house right? And you're a a professional real estate developer. And you're like, you get an auto, you send me an automated message saying, Bethany, thanks so much for reaching out. Um, I will get back to your message within 24 hours. But if it is urgent, here's the best way to reach me. (laughs) In my mind, I think that that's very professional because I'm like, oh, you already did reach out to me. You let me know exactly when I can expect to hear back from him." Okay. Now, if I went to you and I said, Yuri, Hey, what's up? Let's like get some coffee. (laughs) And you sent me that same message. Hey, thanks for reaching out, Stephanie. I'll reach out back to you in 24 hours. But if it's urgent, you know, here's my number. I would be like, Hey, Yuri,
0: uh, you
1: know, that wasn't cool. (laughs) Right. So I think there's different levels of comfort when it comes to automation but I also feel there is uh, a consideration of the type of relationship that you have with that person and in what circumstance, if it's transactional, if it's marketing, if it's business related, absolutely. Because you don't have a relationship with that person yet. You're just trying to gain that relationship. But if it's going out for coffee, dinner, a social event, and you send that shit to me, I'd be like, Yuri, we are not, we're not hanging out. Cause I'm not waiting 24 hours. <laughs> and I'm not going to call you as an emergency to hang out. Uh-huh. So I think that that's something that people are still trying to figure out where the fine line, where the boundary is uh, when it comes to automated messages and automating.
0: Yeah. And you were talking about coffee. So what is your favorite mug?
1: Oh, I don't have it here with me. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I don't have my favorite mug here. Um <laughs> There's a mug and maybe it's for the best that, uh, I don't have it here, but, uh, I was gifted a mug. I actually have two favorite mugs. My first favorite mug is usually the mug that I get or am using from my current company. Uh, so I did get a Salesforce mug and a Dreamforce mug. Uh, so so those are like amongst my favorite rotational ones, but I did receive a gift that said, uh, feminism is my second favorite F word. (laughs) So I thought that was really funny and I was like, Oh, that's so cute. Um, But I just love that mug, but I don't use it in uh, many different situations because I'm afraid of like overusing it and watching it too much, you know, and like putting wear on it. Um, But I do also have other favorite ones. I got a few from Japan during my travels and same with Singapore and they're so cute and they're so small. So those are actually my other uh, favorite mugs. Here, I actually have a lot now that I think about it.
0: <laughs> How many mugs do you have?
1: A lot, <laughs> a lot. We have quite a bit. I have a lot of little ones. I have a lot of big ones as well. Uh, my bigger ones are for, you know, as you can imagine, from the big companies. You know, like, like they give you the nice big old mug to just make sure you don't forget. Yeah, exactly. It's like a bucket. Um, <laughs> And there was one I got from Disneyland last year called, uh, uh, it's called uh, Fast Pass to Fridays. So it's just like quickly go to Friday. And, uh, it's a really fun one.
0: Yeah, Fast Pass for Friday, sounds really nice. Have you ever won any Halloween decorations contests?
1: No. Unfortunately, I've not. um, I know. I know. I've not won any. But me and my husband are determined to be that house in our neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, We purchased our house in 2021, summer 2021. So now we've had two seasons of decorating for Halloween. Our last Halloween uh, decoration was, uh, we decided to make a lava pit of our house, right? Like when you walk up, it looks like lava and fire is coming from the house. And I told him, I was like, no, next year we have to do a completely blackout theme. Meaning we would only have black lights and we should make it into a live spider web, like an actual spider web, right? Where like everything's all black light lit and it's like glowing. Um, our house is uniquely positioned where we're in between streetlights. So our corner gets very dark and dim. I was like, why can't we just use that? You know, my husband's like, oh, I'm going to time this thing. I'm going to put like wild up lights and make sure like everybody knows. And I, uh, told him, I said, I'm going to put arches on the sidewalk. So as the kids and adults are walking through, it looks like you're just walking through this like web of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and so, I think this next year we're going to come with it, or this year actually, we're going to come with some serious game.
0: Do anyone, like, takes your competition?
1: Um, No. I, it's, my friends think it's really fun that I do this, but I've never, like, competed I think some of the competition is very stiff sometimes, uh, you know, with people uplighting their house and then making like, uh, the music theming and coordination with that. And, you know, unfortunately, electricity in California is quite expensive. And I'm like, (laughs) don't don't do all of that. Um, yeah. So I don't know, like. As far as competition i've never really thought of it that way and i've never really thought about getting recognition or otherwise showcasing it i'm just doing it for fun
0: how many how many hours takes your usual preparation for halloween
1: um we take roughly about i mean if we have all the stuff it's about three hours of staging and putting up all the lights but it could take longer depending on like what we're trying to do sometimes like if we want to, um, you know, alter the way that the projections are, or, you know, we want to redo or restring some of the other lights, like it could take longer than that. But my house in the front is not very particularly big. So that's pretty That's pretty standard for a smaller, uh, for the house. When we did live in other homes that were quite big Oh, my gosh. Like I probably would spend between 8 to 12 hours, depending. Uh, One year, I uh, made these paper lanterns to put on the ground. And I basically lined almost 400 paper lanterns all along the street, uh, in front of my house and on the side. And in order to do that, I actually gave all of my friends... uh, about 25 to 40 paper bags. And I told them, have your kids draw on this. So once the kids all drew on it, I just put it out. So these uh, lanterns you put, um, it's just a paper bag. You put sand to weight it down. And then I use like battery powered, um, like non-flammable candles and I put in there. So at night it looks like it's flickering like a little lantern. And so the kids came by, and they were so excited because I lined yeah over four hundred paper lanterns uh, around the entire corner of the house and out through the sidewalk and up the walkways.
0: Wow, I can only imagine. So I I can imagine you one day winning really some Halloween decoration contest. So just just let's just wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) So you had bubbles champagne so what's your current ride's name
1: i it's so funny i named um i named my cars but this current car i didn't really name as much i it's a tesla it's a model y and so when you open up the app it says what do you want to name your car like you can actually name it and i named it not your model y. <laughs> Uh, the reason why I did that is because in my particular area, in the Bay Area, it, there's an oversaturation of Teslas. So it was just, I couldn't think of anything else to name it because I wanted, I had champagne, I had bubbles. Like, you know, like what, what would I transition it to, you know? And um, yeah, I just have a really big love of cars. Uh, although we've only owned electric cars for, Sometime. Um, I used to have race cars, and I used to have uh, auto-crossing cars, I used to have motorcycles. So, yeah, you can tell I don't really fit in at all to any groups or anything like that.
0: <laughs> so, it's an interesting theme. And why did you, like, trade racing car for electrical cars?
1: That's a good one. Um, One, uh, so I used to autocross in college. I did that. I actually won one one contest at my uh, junior college. I didn't win very much, but it doesn't matter. I was very excited. Um, It was just a hobby that I did with my friends, and it brought a sense of community. Duh, right? We joined the car community. You know, customizing things, making it your own. Uh, But unfortunately, I was a poor college student and the upkeep of having, you know, a race car or a modified car was extremely expensive. Um, I have never been a fan of gasoline, the smell of it. You know, like as much as I love cars, I don't have like an affinity of using fossil fuels. Uh, And so I think over time, I just realized that I really wanted an electric vehicle simply because one, um, at heart, I I do a lot of volunteering. Um, I try to do my best to think about the environment as much as I possibly can. Um, I don't usually change my cars very often. Uh, It's mostly because my husband wants to change it, but um, I could drive a car, you know, 10, 20 years. And I just thought, hey, if I get an electric car, maybe I could get to so like 10 years each time, right? Because I just think trading cars or using cars is, is a wasteful thing. Um, and yeah, I as much as I wish that I could keep my race cars, it was just an expense, both financially and on the environment, and quite frankly, trying to fit two children into a sports car doesn't really work itself out very well either. So, while I don't, I I miss it. I'm glad that I was able to move on from it.
0: Yeah. And you know, once Corin revealed your secret, uh, he wrote that mommy's scared of the car wash. So what is about a specific car wash or in general?
1: Um, I, it's so funny that he said <laughs> that because I was like, I'm not only scared of the sound. I think I'm scared that it scratches up your car <laughs> and that it like uses recycled water sometimes. And I just, because of my love of cars, like I can wash all my cars. I am very particular about the way I wash my cars. Like I don't reuse certain things because I don't want the, 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 the dirt to get back on the car and then to scratch the paint. So I'm very particular about it. And I honestly would prefer to power wash and hand wash my own cars. And so going through a car wash is like both a theoretical nightmare and a very realistic nightmare for me.
0: (laughs) Did you ever scratch your car?
1: No, I never scratched my car, but some but he had hit my car before and didn't leave a note. And so that was really sad. Um that happened in college so it wasn't very recent. Um Yeah, I been, I've I had a lot of good luck so far. Um but sometimes like when I have my older cars like I I don't mind or I don't notice them much because again, I sometimes won't drive my newer cars. Um, I just drive the one I have and Just happy with
0: it. Tell me about the water accident you had with one of your previous laptops.
1: Um, so uh this was a time that I was starting up my former startup. Uh it was called Community Hired. Uh, and I was at the library. Because I just, for some reason, I just wanted to not be in the office, right? I just didn't want to be alone. At that point, I'd been working uh, remote and by myself for, like, almost two years. And I just just wanted to be somewhere, right? Like, a different place to invoke a different energy. So I put my laptop in my bag. And I put a bottle of water in my bag. (laughs) And it was fine. The water... You know, there was nothing wrong with it. Um, I get to the library. I put my bag down. And once I put my bag down, I can't remember what I was doing or trying to do, but somehow my hand or something hit the the, the notch that was on the water bottle. And it kind of loosened the top just a little bit. And all I hear is this, like, (sighs) liquid... (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like oh my god so I immediately grabbed my laptop right and keep in mind my, my bag is a Timbuktu bag so if you've ever encountered a Timbuktu bag they are made handmade in San Francisco the interesting part about it is, is that it's extremely water resistant <laughs> so my bag turned into a a water tank if you will <laughs> I grab my laptop out and I put it out on the table and all I see is water coming out of it. And I'm like, this isn't even okay. And so I look inside my bag. I don't have anything else. And the water is just sitting in there. Like it's not even pouring out. So I have no idea. It would have been fine if it wasn't being submerged, right? Like if it just like kind of just poured out. But because of how well made the bag was, it just turned it into a tank. <laughs> and so I took my laptop home, and I put it in a, a you know, a thing of rice. And I'm so sad because that was like one of my favorite laptops that I had. Um, it was a Mac. It was a 20. I want to say it was like a 2017, something like that. 2015, 2017 uh, MacBook Air. And it was fully spec out, meaning it was like the fastest version of it. And I think I was pretty heartbroken for that whole time. I was like really distraught. And so I ended up buying a 2018 MacBook Pro. And it was my first MacBook Pro. And I really loved it because it was fast. Um, but it just wasn't the same. It wasn't like thin, like my MacBook Air and... I think I, yeah, I don't know. I just, something about that previous laptop with the way the keyboard was. And, <laughs> yeah, I just was very, very sad about it. But my accident, that was the first time in my life I've ever destroyed a computer. I never, ever, um, and I kid you not, Yuri, <laughs> in this hallway, I have a 20, or 2011 MacBook Air that is still in running functional condition that I gave to my mom. And to this very day, it still works. It still powers on. Everything is still functional on it. Uh, The only difference is is that now, that 2018 MacBook Pro, uh, this last holiday, I gifted it to my mother. So uh, I, after many years of loving that computer, I just decided uh, it was time for it to move on and She loves the computer. She uses it to go on Zoom to see her friends. And yeah, I'm just very happy to pass that on.
0: Yeah. And have you ever watched all 1,400 plus photos of your wedding?
1: No, No. (laughs) no, no, no. I have not. And the reason why is because I only took photos because that's what my family wanted. If I were to able to redo the experience, I would actually prefer that I um, was able to record my wedding. Uh, I just think that photos just don't do it for me. I just don't have the time to like go through every photo. And frankly, Yuri, I only pick like 25 of them as like my ones I show off, because it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you go through 1,400 photos? Like, that's not okay.
0: Yeah. Nowadays, you can just, you know, push the button like 10 times and you will receive 10 same like photos and like you have to choose. <sighs> what is the difference between those 10 photos? So, yeah, I totally understand what you're talking about. And, you know, Stephanie, I wish to have the sky's limit to our conversation, but time is the limit. So let's jump to the rapid fire questions. So spider or dinosaur? Dinosaur. Christmas or Halloween? Christmas. What are your favorite color and song?
1: Color has to be pink. Song. Oh, my gosh! gosh. No. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this is, hard, this is hard. hard. I don't have a favorite song, <laughs> favorite song, right, song now. right now. Okay, if I had to pick... My current favorite song is uh, Sam Smith's Unholy. I think that song is so amazing right now.
0: I agree. I already asked you about superpowers. So next question, who do you learn from in the community world? Name one person.
1: Erica Cole, all the way. Uh, She was the uh, person who created Trailblazer, the community at Salesforce. Uh, I had been following her work for over a decade but although I followed her work I'd have to say there are other very close 1.5 people that I follow.
0: (laughs) Name two people who I should definitely talk like with you who, who I should definitely have this conversation with.
1: Um, if you haven't already, I would say Brian Olinger. I think he is fantastic. And I think that, you know, he wouldn't oppose to doing something like this. Um, and the other person I would say, if you, I don't know if you're ready or did, but Tiffany Oda, uh, she is also, you know, big pioneer in this space, but I just think those two people, like, I would love to hear what they say.
0: Yeah, you can already listen to them, you know. So (laughs) we already had a conversation, but thank you very much for sharing them. And is there one question that I definitely should have asked you but didn't?
1: Mm. I think a question that would have been fun to be asked was daytime or nighttime? So... If I had to answer that question, if you, uh, sorry, let me back that up. If you asked me that question, daytime or nighttime, I would have said nighttime. Why so? Um, I think there's just this calm and this peace of knowing that when there's not daytime that you can enjoy things, socialize, but not only that, just like, rest right like it's almost like you can do whatever you can rest you can work you can socialize you can kind of be anybody you want to be at night and that's yeah. the beauty of it but during the daytime you don't have very, as many options right it's usually work or commitment or other things so i pick night because i feel like that's who that's a place and time that people can be who they really want to be
0: yeah, I, I totally, you know, I totally agree with you because nighttime is so slower and so, like, good paced. So, yeah, I totally understand you. And, Stephanie, thank you very much for this conversation. You know, I have many more questions. So, somewhere in the nearest future, we'll have definitely the volume two. I don't know when, but, you know, it's just the beginning of our conversation. And... Even though I didn't have an opportunity to talk to you like this in person much, like I saw you on some webinars, on some LinkedIn and all this stuff, but I really liked talking to you and all the things you shared with me even before we started recording about Linkin Park, Eminem and those kind of stuff. It's like, I don't know, just thank you very much for that. It like made this so great connection so I don't even know how to explain it worse, but I understood like, yeah, Stephanie is definitely my kind of person. So thank you very much for being you.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me here, and I hope that uh, others might learn more about me or just in general, uh, you know, just how different some of us might be and the interests that we all might share in common, right? Because that's what this is all about.
0: Exactly. So thank you very much and see you in the community world.